Hey guys, welcome back to the Outlook Industries podcast. It's your host, Trevor Johnson, back here in the studio, getting another great episode done for you today. Today we have Matthias Gerald. He is super Frenchy on Instagram. What an absolute awesome individual I got to talk to today. He has done base jumps off of some of the major peaks around the world, and he just released his movie, Super Frenchy, where he just kind of goes through 11 years of his life and his journey doing all these ski base jumps and it's it's insane i got i got linked up with him through a mutual friend who's actually a professor at fort lewis and uh matthias graduated from fort lewis i think in 2006 if i remember right and yeah he's just out doing all sorts of action sports endeavors throughout the world which is super crazy he does lots of talks and stuff so i was really excited to get the opportunity to talk to him today and we had a great conversation about just a lot of things that go into action sports and kind of the mental barriers and and the, where your head has to be to do all these crazy things that he does and and i really learned a lot while talking to matthias so i hope you guys enjoy this podcast as much as i did and let's get right into it how's it going guys we're here with matthias how you doing I'm doing good, and you? <laughs> doing great. Thank you so much for taking some time out to come and talk to me. It, it means so much to me, so thank you. My pleasure. Um, so what's kind of your backstory? Where did you grow up, and how did you end up here doing what you're doing? <laughs> well, it's a long story, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm French originally, you know, super Frenchy, of course. <laughs> I, was, I was born in Normandy, and uh, my parents had a vacation home in the Alps, so I'd go, you know, skiing in the Alps every vacation. Then they moved to south of France. Uh, they couldn't afford their home anymore, so they sold it. But by then, I got taken, uh, I got picked up by a ski team in the Alps. So then I moved to Ski Academy in the Alps for ski racing and uh, became a mountain kid by adoption. And then um, after that, I was thinking too much about skiing. So my parents pulled me out of Ski Academy and they locked me up in a, a private Catholic school in south of France with bars on the windows. Wow. So, uh, so I, I rebelled as much as I could by... Uh, pretty much failing out of school, but then I barely passed. And, uh, and then we kind of reached an agreement where I could ski as much as I wanted, as long as I, um, you know, took care of school. And so we kind of figured out some stuff, which, in the, which is in the first place, what I was doing in ski Academy. Anyway, I had great yeah. grades. I was ski racing. So it really felt unfair to get pulled out of there. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a skier and do something in the mountains since I was nine years old, you know? So, yeah. And, um, yeah, anyway, fast forward a few years, I uh, went to business school in Lyon, and then uh, that was the closest city to the mountains, uh, but uh, it still wasn't enough. And then eventually, I was able to transfer to Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado, yeah. and, then, uh, and I studied business there. The plan wasn't to really turn pro. I was just trying to kind of get in the ski industry any way I could, and so I was interning at Purgatory, and they became my first sponsor started to uh send me to you know free ride competitions uh i was doing the u.s extreme free skiing in uh, championships in crest butte then started doing the u.s free skiing tournament as well and uh one thing led to another i yeah i was getting you know i got sponsored head to toes within the three months of moving to uh first three months of moving to colorado then uh started skydiving i met shane mcconkey told me how to get into base jumping then i started base jumping ski base jumping 
graduated from the fort and then fast forward a few years later, then I'm skiing off cliffs for a job. <laughs> that's, that's so crazy how that all works out. My biggest question is from being in the Alps, which I growing up in America, have always looked at the Alps as like the best skiing. How did you end up coming to the US? And well, they, there's not many places where you could, you know, study and, and, and ski, you know, and uh, we have universities near the mountains in France, but there's, there's, there's not many, you know, and, and Durango was one of the only places in the world where I could still study, get a legitimate degree and then, um, and ski full time. So that's what triggered the move to the U.S. Okay. And, uh, I had, uh, you know, an American friend that pretty much was my mentor who was involved with purgatory. And so he helped me kind of get there, you know, and, uh, that's, that's how I ended up, but you know, yeah, the Alps are nothing compares to the Alps. I definitely yep. took the Alps for granted. <laughs> I, <laughs> You know, I, my home resort is a medium sized resort for, for the Alps and we have 89 lifts. Wow. And no way. You're allowed, yeah. You're allowed to go out of bounds. You can do whatever you want as it's at your own risk. And if you get hurt and it's in a spot that's too dangerous to get rescued, they'll leave you to die. So it's like the real deal, you know, and, uh, you can go out of bounds. You can do whatever you want. So I just grew up, you know, 14 years old when I was ski racing, I would just, you know, duck a rope and jump a 30 foot cliff under the chairlift all the time. You know, yeah. like it was not a big deal. It was completely normal. Uh, but you know, you always hear about the Rockies and all the other mountains around the world, you know, and I, yeah. I, I had skied in, Ta in Tahoe once and I was really impressed with the kind of snow they got and the terrain was a lot smaller, but really fun. And so yeah. I, when I had the opportunity to transfer to, to, to the forts, there was no question about it. But then my first day skiing at Perg, I remember, you know, I hitched a ride up there. First of all, I was like, what do you mean? It's, it's not ski in, ski out. You have to drive 30 minutes to go skiing. They're like, yeah, man, you get a car. You get, you need a car. And I was like, what? So I, you know, I, I found a sab for 500 bucks. But until then I was just, you know, carpooling with kids from the fort. Right. And my first day at Perg, I skied the whole mountain in two hours. Uh -huh. And uh, and I was like, oh my god, what am I gonna do here for five years? <laughs> this yeah, is no. when I, you know, I grew up in the Alps. To me, that's what mountains were. You know, there was just like, well, of course they're massive. Of course you ski five thousand vertical from the top. Of course it's normal. Yeah. And you know, I I just didn't know any better. And then when I moved to 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 Southwest Colorado, I realized that it was. It was skiing. It was amazing, but it was a completely different kind of skiing. So I had to adapt to the kind of riding that you do. But, you know, then I discovered through going backcountry, going to Silverton, still Perg. I love Perg. It's just, you don't approach the Rockies like you approach the Alps. It's just a different kind of terrain, you know, and it's got its peculiarities and, and risk as well. The avalanche danger is way higher, things like yeah. that. So it was, it was a learning experience to learn to adapt to a new mountain range. So. Yeah. So how... Did you hear about the fort all the way from France? That's what I, because I am from South Dakota originally. And I, without like having a friend who went here, there was no way I would end up here. Well, you know, it's funny, actually. The first time I heard about the fort, um, I was about to graduate high school. I was maybe a year out. Yeah. I was like, I, I want to go study abroad. There's no way I want to stay in France because, you know, France is, France is awesome, but it's, you know, when you're from one place, you want to check out other places, right? It's just the way it yeah. is. And uh, I, I, so I just kind of researched on the internet at the time, you know, um, schools that were in, in snowy places. So I looked at Scandinavia, you know, Norway, of course, I looked a little bit everywhere. And then I found this place called Fort Lewis College, but I, in Durango, Colorado, but I, I didn't think too much of it. Kind of forgot about it, honestly. Then I went to school in Lyon in France and that family friend, um, 
was a businessman who was a part investor of purgatory, but not like, you know, one of the major owners. And he was like, Hey, he, and, and he bought a house in South of France where my parents lived, which is a tiny village of 2000 people or something. Wow. And so we helped him kind of get settled and all that. And then once he heard, I was just crazy about skiing and I'd go skiing all the time. We, we went skiing in the Alps together. And then he invited me to ski at Kirkwood because Kirkwood was a sister resort of purgatory at the time. He was part of the, the same investor group. And when I skied there, you know, then, you know, I went back to the Alps and he, he, he came and skied with us too. And he was like, Hey man, I, I talked to one of the resorts that we, that I'm part owner of in Colorado and uh, we can help you move to the States. And there's a college there called Fort Lewis college. They have, they have a really good business program because I was in a really good business school in France, uh, you know, five-year business school, like, you know, only 120 seats, 3000 people apply to get in the school and they only take the top 120. Somehow I got in it. <laughs> I don't know how that worked out, but <laughs> And uh, so that's, that's, that's how it happened. And he had already called the fourth. He was like, okay, you're going to receive an application in the mail next week. So he really jump-started the whole thing. And he was just, uh, you know, a self-made businessman who still had some, you know, high fives along the way and people helping him. And so he believed into this, this mentorship kind of, of um, you know, positive, you know, I guess, humanistic attitude. And he, he, yeah. he, yeah, so he helped me do that. But then after that, I was pretty much on my own, you know, so he opened the door, I had to make it work, you know, and then once I, I heard there was an opportunity for me to ski, to study business in a place where I could ski every day, I yeah. didn't think twice, I knew I packed my bag and had to break up with my beautiful girlfriend at the time, unfortunately, and then, uh, yeah, moved to the U.S. <laughs> I am going, I'm going to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it was rough, man, I was, she was the first woman I loved, man, the first woman I was, yeah, I learned to love with, and she, she was beautiful, and, uh, Hey, but it's okay. You know, like yeah. I, we're still friends. We're still in touch. Actually, it's pretty funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you? Do they teach English in France in school? Yeah, you learn to start. I mean, you start learning English around nine or something. You know, but very basic. Uh, and then start age eleven. You start, you know, conjugating. You know, uh, irregular verbs. Everything, building senses, and all that. But. French people are pretty bad about languages in general, uh, but my mother is Dutch. And so I, gr I grew up in an international house and, you know, we kind of spoke a little bit of everything at home. You know, my, my older sister speaks seven languages. My other sister speaks five. Um, yeah. I'm the slacker of the family. I only speak two and a half, I guess, you know, and then, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but, you know, I, I spoke English fairly often, but I wasn't fluent. And when I was failing out of school, you know, on purpose, after being pulled out of ski Academy, my, I grew up surfing as well, quite a bit, you know, and, yeah. and uh, my parents were trying to motivate me, you know, and, and, you know, they went wealthy people but they were just trying to you know do the best they could for their kid you know and uh they were like all right if you they realized they messed up when they pulled me out of ski academy because i had great grades and i was skiing hard so, <laughs> so, so my rebellion worked in a way you there know? you go and, yeah uh, and uh and they were like all right if you pass we're gonna send you to a surf camp this summer in california so i was like oh there was no you know there was no missing the opportunity so i studied hard till two three in the morning every day every night i guess woke up at 6 30 to go to school did that for a couple months got my grades up just enough. And then they sent me to the U S and that trip actually putting my life on the brink of, of failing, you know, just to make a statement actually served because then I, I had to commit to this and that trip to the U to the U S that's just a summer trip. I was two weeks in a family and then two weeks in a camp, you know, they yeah. friends of friends. And so this way I could, you know, practice English more. And then after a month I came back and 
still had an accent. Of course, I can never get rid of that, but uh, um, I spoke English fluently. And so that, that, and that helped me for the rest of my life. So that one trip actually is really kind of what put my life on the right track already, you know? So yeah, that's, <laughs> it's just crazy to me. Cause if I think about going to any other country with a different language and going into college of all things, like the level of language that you need to be at to even like understand what's going on. Like, I don't know what's going on in English most of the time. It's like <laughs> a crazy transition. <laughs> Well, if you think of the French language is pretty intricate and very complicated. And we have a lot of words actually that are sometimes, you know, false friends where it's the same word, but it means something completely differently, but there are some similarities. And also I studied German in school as well, a little bit, and 85% of English comes from German. Uh And, you know, my, my, my other side of the family is Dutch. So these are kind of like sister languages of, of, of English, even though they're completely different, even though French is completely different, there's still some, uh, I think the the structure of the language and the intricacies of it help you become more precise. And so when I learn English, you just, and also the French school system is very, very rigid and very thorough. So yeah. um, I, you know, I learned the basics, you know, the, 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 the fundamentals of English, I learned them pretty well, I think. And then after that being immersed in the U S and then just putting it to use kind of made it come full circle, you know? So that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah, but, so awesome. yeah, I wasn't too scared of going to the US and studying in English. It was just an, an exciting opportunity, you know. Yeah, and it, it, it was a little challenging the first uh, trimester, but you know, I took like actually an English like composition 101 class because they they make they they require that for all foreign students. Yeah. And then, but halfway through, I ended up getting a scholar award for writing and all that. So everything's really clicked in. So it was really cool. Actually, you know what, like. You know, a lot of people, you know, talk about the Ford as like, you know, for leisure or for loser, or whatever, people yeah. <laughs> on the eight-year plan and not doing much. But I had a great education at Fort Lewis. And I, I came from one of the best business schools in France, went to the fourth, which technically would have been like a downgrade. But yeah. as far as my life plan, it really served a purpose really well. And I, I'm still in touch with some of my teachers from the Ford. Like I, I, yeah, thank you. I had a great education. So the yeah. Ford was awesome. And that's the thing, man, you make you make what you make out of, out of education. You can get as much as you want out of it, you know? And I see so many kids who are just total slackers and you knew these guys were not really going to get anywhere. They kind of got a degree just to get a degree. I think it's like anything you do, if you do it with a plan and intention and purpose, you're going to do much better at it, you know, and yeah. whether you're skiing or skydiving or whatever you pick, you know, like, or arts, you know, if you have a plan in mind and you apply your constructive um, approach and structure to reaching your goal, then then you can only get good results. And the Ford was really fitting almost perfectly my ambition in life, you know? So. Yeah. That's awesome. Actually <laughs> how like I heard and like heard about you and chat, uh, reached out to you in the first place is uh, Doug. Oh, Doug Lyon. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I was curious. I was going to be like, how the hell did you hear about me? Yeah. Doug Lyon. Yeah. Yeah. We're still connected on LinkedIn. He was my teacher in a couple of classes. Doug is hilarious. He's awesome. Yeah, I had Doug for two classes a semester and I was in a meeting with him and he's like, you do podcasts, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, what are they about? I'm like, action sports stuff. And he's like, you should reach out to Super Frenchie. I'm like, oh, should I? <laughs> <laughs> and here we are <laughs> i have a funny story with doug lyon actually i took my 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 senior semester like a business class or whatever with him you know and we yeah. had to put together a business plan for for lewis college because they were expanding and stuff like that and yeah i was in my group was in charge of the marketing plan which was pretty cool actually um but um you know it's it's that last that last 
one of the last important business classes you're taking, you're about to graduate and get fed to the lines and explore the, the world of becoming a, yeah, a professional, right? on the job market. And he was giving us pointers, you know, on how to position yourself well, how to do well in job interviews, things like that. And one of the things he said, it's like, oh, and don't go saying like, oh yeah, I want to be a base jumper or things like that. You know, like that's one of the advice that he gave us. Like to, he was trying to pick, I understand what he was doing. He was trying to pick a completely obscure, <laughs> completely kooky activity and to not put that in your resume or, 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 or interest or hobbies or whatever, yeah. you know? And in my mind, it was like, dude, I just ordered my first base jumping parachute. I've been skydiving <laughs> for a year and a half. Like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And I was, I was like, all right, Doug, I'm going to prove you wrong. I never said it. So if he hears this in the podcast, that would be hilarious. Yeah. Maybe tell him to listen to the podcast. No, I'll Maybe. tell him to listen to it. I'm not an example, you know, but he was one of those great t-shirts that I had at the fort. You know, they yeah. definitely, where whatever school you go to there's always you know one or two t-shirts that stands out but from the fourth i have like five or six or seven t-shirts yeah. that stood out like i had such amazing teachers i love the fort such a great school <laughs> yeah i know it's been great i have a question about base jumping actually how did you get into skydiving at the first in the first place how did i get into skydiving so um my dad was in the french paratroopers uh during his military service my dad is an old man he was born in 1939 Oh, okay. He's, yeah. He still remembers hearing the Nazis walking down the street. That's how old he is. Gosh, yeah. It's crazy. And, uh, but anyway, then he had to do his military service in the uh, early 60s or something like that, you know, and or mid 60s, uh, late 60s. Or, uh, yeah, no, early 60s. Yeah, yeah. Because he was about 25 years old or so. And um, so I, I grew up hearing his skydiving stories and things like that, you know, so that really perked up my interest. And I was always, you know, kids love parachutes. They always have yes. like parachute toys, things like that. I would make my own parachutes with like grocery bags and tie mm -hmm. like a, like a Playmobil or like a GI Joe to it and throw it down the, we had this big like staircase in my home, you know, so I just throw yeah. it in the middle of it. And, um, I was obsessed with jumping with stuff already. You know, I, I hit my first high dive when I was like six from the 30 foot high dive or something, you know, and I was like, it was really a taste of the fourth dimension it's like oh my god this is it you know like i just i got a taste of what actually is beyond this world you know some people yeah. might need to do drugs for this i just yeah jumping off gives jump you a much better taste jump <laughs> <off>. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's how it started and then so i i always knew i was going to skydive but then when i was nine years old i saw uh, my first images of base jumping in a, a french extreme skiing movie you know that extreme snowboarders and skiers and it was really kind of like a 80s cheesy early 90s cheesy you know mountain movie but right there i was so struck and compelled by what the characters were doing and actually the level of commitment to their craft it was <laughs> the first time i saw grown men that were willing to to die for what they loved you know aside yeah. from watching war movies when a guy is doing the right thing for humanity and getting killed by the enemy you know it was like a completely different frame where it could be perceived as pointless but for me these men already understood that there was there was a whole other dimension to life to, to dedicate your life to your craft. And that resonated yeah. so deeply with me that I, first of all, I was like, I'm going to base jump. There's no question about it. It's the oh. most, it looked like the most terrifying thing ever, but the most fulfilling at the same time too. And right there, I, I kind of made the pact with myself that I was going to yeah do this. And um, I just had to pay my dues and, and earn my rank within the, the community, within the tribe, you know? And yeah. uh, so that's what I did, man. And then I, I got to work.
early on, you know? And uh, yeah, so I, I always had this idea. I never told anything to my parents. I went back and saw that movie four times at the theater in a row. And my wow. mother my mother was so pissed. She cut me off uh, pocket money. She, I think <laughs> she she already got a feel that she's, she was losing her son to a culture she disapproved, disapproved of. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, it was too late, man. I already sold my soul to the devil, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> to those, to, to those clips. Yeah. <laughs> so so anyway so that's it and then um moved to the u.s fast forward i was going to start skydiving when i was 18 but uh you know i blew my knee uh and then so i had to wait a little bit then i moved to the u.s and then and, and then you know i heard there was a student at the fort that had a skydiving license and she was skydiving on the weekends i kind of looked you know where i could skydive and then i ran into shane mcconkey who was kind of like the, one of the fathers of ski based jumping. He passed unfortunately in 2009, but I met him at yeah, a trade wow. show where my sponsors wanted me to go. It was in Las Vegas at the time carpooled with a uh, Sven Brunso, a local pro skier in Durango, who was one of my mentors when I first moved here, when I first moved there, cause I don't live in Durango anymore. He took me under yeah. his wing and kind of showed me the in and out of the industry, how to do it, how to become a professional. And his mentorship was so valuable. And I still apply today. A lot of the, a lot of the pointers that he gave me, you know, and anyway, Went to my first trade show and it was overwhelming, you know, all these pros everywhere and all these brands. And I was there with a sponsor, like, whoa, man, this is yeah. this is the American dream. I'm getting a taste of it. This is great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I met Shane yeah. McConkey. And uh, yeah, we had this awesome conversation. He's like, all right, cool. I was like, hey, man, I'm a huge fan of what you do. And I really want to base jump since I was a kid. I want to ski base jump. And he's like, all right, here's what you have to do. And then a few weeks later, I blew my knee again. So I had to wait to get healthy, get surgery. Went back to France, worked three jobs, and then saved all the money, came back to the States, and then they uh, got back on skis, did the extreme skiing circuit again. I was cleared by the doctors to start charging again, and then right after, I just went straight to a drop zone and started skydiving. Did that for a year and a half. Then I finished my license in Belen, New Mexico. So I was landscaping for 10 bucks under the table because I was a student. You know, I wasn't yeah. allowed to work with my student visa, so I just landscaped oh, really? for 10 bucks. And, yeah, man, you can't work. You can't work with so, a student visa? No. Then eventually, I could do a paid internship with Perg, so that was cool, but that was only like part of the season, right? And they wow. hooked me up with like a season pass and all that. So I could ski for free and I had all my ski gear for free. I had yeah. saved money from France. And then um, I had actually had bought an apartment for like 30 grand in France in Lyon when I was 18 with my sister. And then wow. when I sold it, I made enough money to pay for my tuition. With that. So, you know, I wasn't a wealthy kid, but I always figured out a way, you know, when there's yeah. a will, there's a way, right? And, and it's exactly. not the size of your paycheck is what you make with it, you know? And so, <laughs> so true. I just literally like gathered pennies here and there to just kind of make it come together. My family helped me out a little bit too, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, I remember my sister sold her house one, one time and she, she called me and she's like, Hey, did you get my present? And I was like, what, what? And, and then I went to, I was going to go to breakfast with friends and I just checked my bank account. Cause I didn't think I could afford to get breakfast at Carver's, you know? Yeah. And I looked at my account. I was like, I had like 1200 bucks. And there's like, Whoa, where did this money come from? And then she calls yeah. me like, Hey, I sold my house. We made a profit on it. So I sent you a little present. And I was like, a little present like you just gave me a thousand dollars this is amazing you know so yeah anyway all this little bit of you know stuff just went along the way the mentorship the you know being 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 smart about your money so i'd landscape for 10 bucks an hour and then get some cash and then drive straight to Belen, new mexico and blow it all on skydiving you know and is that then, is that where you got your skydiving license to i got my skydiving license at skydive new mexico in Belen. and how far uh, is that from drago do you remember the four-hour drive four hours okay because yeah, i've been exactly. thinking about trying to get mine so yeah go over there man I'll, I'll put you in touch with some of my friends that that are still there that are instructors they're incredible they took me under their wing it's a it's a scattering school but it's more like a club you know yeah. it's like oh, little, yeah. little planes they cool people it's kind of like you know half of them are kind of like 
desert people, you know, it's another kind of weird group of outlaws in a way, but he was so cool. And I, I made friends for life, man. And that's the thing, like in my life, like all these stepping stones throughout the process to get to where I wanted to be just, uh, yeah, build this, this, this community of, of, I, I, I built this, I mean, I didn't build a community, but I got, became part of all these communities of black-minded people. And we, it's, it's, it's a, it's a special tribe, man. People that commit to their passions, uh, yeah. to, 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 to not only just make a living, but dedicate their life to it. It's, it's, uh, there's some strong personalities in there. <laughs> oh, for sure. Dang. Um, your pro circuit that you skied in, what was that? What like comps were those? So it was your like stuff or it was big mountain stuff. Uh, oh. and, uh, I, I did a little bit of park, but I wasn't a great park skier. You know, I could do a backflip, switch backflips, double backflips or big yeah. laid out Superman front. So it looked cool, but it wasn't enough to win comps. I got third at a park comp once. Uh, and then, uh, in Europe, I did some derbies, which are like pretty much you take like a super G course and you put it on a big mountain face with gates and everything. Oh, and the, okay. Yeah. And the run is like three miles long. And you go in 70 miles per hour. Like people die in this comps and shit. You know, wow. and I was doing those when I was at, at 14. I wanted to do them, but I was too young to compete. So they let me go as a forerunner. So I started doing this stuff. And that's when I really got really a taste of what it's like to push it, man, fully. Yeah. Where, where you're so committed, you're in this, you're in this bubble of awareness and commitment. And 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 if you if you get out of line, you will you, you will be reprimanded heavily. Oh and, yeah. Uh, so I did some of those. And when I moved to the U.S., so back in the day, there was two tours. There was Now there's the Freeride World Tour, but the Freeride World Tour now joined the European Tour and the North American Tour. That They both called themselves World Tours, but they, it wasn't a world thing. Sometimes some Euros would come compete in the U.S., Americans would compete uh, in Europe, but it was kind of like separate. And eventually they joined and formed the Freeride World Tour. So it was before that. So I did uh, the U.S. Extreme Free Skiing Championships in Crested Butte, which was the first big freeride comp in the U.S., I'm not yeah. actually a big fan of the word extreme, but he was in the title. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> uh, then there was the U.S. Free Skiing Open, which was a series of free skiing comps throughout the U.S. That was the big one. And then I did local comps like the um, the uh, Colorado Freeride Series, things like that. And, you know, I yeah, I, I never won. I, I got like top 10 several times, like seven, whatever. Qualifiers, it'd be like, you know, top five, which was cool, you know, but he wasn't enough to, to win really. And, but my last comp, I was, I had a perfect run that should have been getting me on the podium and somehow I got stiffed, you know, from Dang. not my final run of the finals, but like the, my entry run was technical and fast, but I didn't score high enough because I didn't hit enough features. It's like, dude, I skipped the face in 30 seconds. Like that should be worth a lot more, you know? And yeah. And right there is like, you know, I'm done skiing for judges. It's not really my thing, you know? And, uh, I was kind of bitter about this, but I, <sighs> competition always felt really artificial to me and, and I really enjoy, um, yeah, that's why I love ski base jumping because it's the, the level of commitment is so high. It's so, so big that it's not you're not comparing yourself to someone else you're literally you 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 skied well or you don't and if you don't well you're gonna get really messed up or you'll die so it's just kind of like a, a you know black or white approach that is a lot more polarized and i i really enjoy that level of of engagement and commitment for sure so. <laughs> what was your first ski base jump my first ski base jump was on manhood in oregon and yeah, yeah, I was, uh, so out of college. So I, I, I graduated from the fort and I was sponsored by a company at the time, a French clothing brand. 
but kind of like the French North Face. And okay. when I did sponsor me for a couple of years, so I was wearing their stuff and I knew the brand, you know, it's a 70 year old brand or something. It's really old. And when I graduated, like, Hey man, you've been on the team for a while. We, uh, you get a business degree. We need a rep in the Northwest. And I was like, no way, man. I don't want to be a rep. I, I grew up making fun of reps, you know, in the ski industry, working in shops. We're like, hey, look at this dude just coming in to sell us some jackets. You know, like, we make fun of him. I was like, I don't want to be that dude peddling goods, you know. But then they convinced me and they put money down for a car and they paid me enough to, and you know, to ski. but where they really got me, they're like, yeah, and all your travels are paid for. And I was like, because I wasn't an independent rep because the brand needed to take off. So I was all in-house. Yeah. It's like shit. It's like, well, that's pretty much I was making money for skiing, but but not in, from skiing, but not enough to to live off, you know. And so right there, I was like, that's actually pretty much a sponsorship. And my territory was the Northwest. So I traveled all over the Northwest with my skis, my parachutes, and my dog, and just hit every spot I could. I go talk to like five stores and then I'd stay in the area for three or four days, became friends with the kids at the shop that would, you know, let me crash and you know on their couch or whatever. So yeah. did some photo shoots a little bit everywhere. And then <laughs> my first season of repping, I got cover of ski magazine. I got so much publication. Wow, yeah. And then I drove through Oregon a few times and I just started base jumping. I had like maybe 20 base jumps, but you know, being a pro skier already at that time, I was like, dude, this gotta be a way to do a ski base here on the hood. Yeah. called Shane McConkey and he told me, no way, man. I looked for six years. There's nothing to ski base on hood. I had one failed mission and then finally heard of another cliff on the on the southeast side of the mountain, southwest side of the mountain. And uh, say, so, oh yeah, went there and did it. And then uh, my local friend who was an ex-pro skier called a couple of camera guys. We filmed it and put it on the local news. And the next day I was getting calls from Good Morning America, CNN, all these guys. It's like, what the hell is happening? And this is how my career took off. So it's wow. just... Uh, Doing your first on manhood <laughs> while well, like, so traveling like for repping. <laughs> so like that first, that first jump that you ever did, like just took off immediately. Yeah. And then after that, so there was a big thing in Durango, Engineer Mountain. When I first yeah. moved to the to, to the to Durango, I saw Engineer right away. And it's the first big mountain I saw when you drive to Perg. It's right at the end of the highway. Yep. So I became obsessed with this thing. I was like, I gotta ski that that face looking at the highway, you know? Yep. I started talking about it and, and people are like, no way, dude. It's like you, first of all, you don't want to ski this until April because the avalanche danger here is super high. A bunch of people have gone buried up there before. And that cliff at the end, the route that you want to ski is way too big to survive. It's at least like 300 feet. And then I told him, well, you know, I thought about base jumping since I was a kid. So if I throw a parachute on my back and jump off, I could probably fly away. And everybody was yeah. like, no way, man, like, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. and, then, yeah. and then that's somebody heard about me talking about this and they showed me videos of Shane McConkey. So then I was like, oh my God, this guy is doing what I want to do. And it totally works. There's the technology. Yeah. So then I'm a chain, you know, things got in motion. So then left Durango, ski base in Manhood. And then after that, I went, came back to Durango um, a month later. And then I ski base jumped of engineer. And then you know, once you can, like in the air of the media, they kind of keep an eye on what you're doing. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, or, or you send the images to your contacts there, you know, because that's how, that's the only way you can, you know, succeed as an athlete. It's not to be a media whore, but you you have to self-promote in an elegant way, you know, to yeah. be able to 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 keep showing your adventures. If you're not competing, that's the only way you can make a living and uh, or, or take it to the next level. And then last thing I know, yeah, CNN then picked it up again. So I ended up on CNN like 26 times in one year. And uh, wow. really, but the rewarding part was um, when I was in Durango and trying to buy a base jumping parachute, it's like $3,000 or something. I didn't have that kind of money to buy a custom parachute. I didn't even have a skydiving parachute. I was just borrowing skydiving rigs from friends or, or from the drop zone, you know? Yeah. And 
And so your flesh tattoo in town, one of the artists there, uh, Roger Salinger, made me uh, a drawing, but I had to get a tattoo in exchange, which I already had anyway, you know, so I got yeah. a tattoo from your flesh <laughs> tattoo. They made me a drawing and then Scab Brewing was like, hey, maybe base your, your logo on some of our drawings, you know, we're a pretty popular brand in town, make some t-shirts and we'll help you sell them. So then I made a hundred t-shirts, sold them through Bubba's Boards, through Scab Brewing, through uh, Boarding House, uh, through Inferno. All the shops got behind Four Corner River Sports, Pedal of the Peaks. Wow. All the shops got behind it. They bought the t-shirts up front. And they're really? like, yeah, we'll sell them after. And so last thing I knew, I'm like, holy shit, I got all this cash. And the whole community got behind it. And I'd be that walking downtown Durango and a kid would be like, hey, that's the French kid who's going to base jump of engineer. And then somebody else would be like, no way, he's going to die. It's like, yeah, I'm going to buy a t-shirt. You know, like, you know, and that's- <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it took, so for four years, I talked about it, but the, the whole community in Durango backed it up. They, they bought t-shirts. They helped me out, you know, and. Yeah. Again, when there's a will, there's a way. You find a way to do it. And I had the right people advising me, but then I just had to make it happen. And then that was just enough to buy my parachute. Like I sent the check for the parachutes. I had $90 left in my checking account. That's all. You can't really live off that. And, but yeah, so then coming back to Durango is more than just doing a ski base of engineer. It was a way to, to follow through with what I promised that I was going to do. Yeah. And, uh, the night before Shane McConkie actually heard about what I was going to do. And I sent him a couple of pictures and he was like, man, I wouldn't jump that cliff. It's at 12,000 feet. It's like the air is really thin. Your opening is going to be really low because the air is thinner up there. And it's not really tall. The cliff is only 230 or 40 feet or something like that. Two yeah. Maybe at the most. And it's kind of like a cirque. So you open in between a bunch of rocks. If you have a bad opening, you'll slam back in a cliff. Yeah. Shane was like, I don't really do jumps like that anymore. They're not really worth the risk. And then I told him, well, Shane, thank you very much. I appreciate your input, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I committed yeah. to this. And then like, when I stood up there, when I stood up there, I started skiing down. Like two or 300 people drove from Durango and they were all lining up the road up Cold Bank. And I could hear people screaming from engineer and wow. based and landed. And there, there's a bunch of friends that had climbed to the landing. I land and they hand me a cold beer. And I was like, oh my God, it's so <laughs> sick. So the whole thing was just, you know, an, another, you know, example of how yeah, special living in Durango was. Cause it's, yeah, you're, you're an outsider. Technically you're a weird kid coming from France with some kooky ideas and dreams. And uh-huh. People backed it up, man. They took it seriously. I think they 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 felt the the hunger and desire to make it happen, and the 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 the, the authentic desire to do this. And and that's what I loved about Durango, man. People just they, for them, it wasn't just a cookie idea. They're just like, let's let's help this kid and see if he's actually going to do it, you know. And that, yeah. That, I yeah, I'm forever grateful, man. My time in Durango just really fast tracked my whole professional life. Nice. That's awesome. How did you get up to the top of engineer? I've done that when it's dry and the, even that's kind of sketchy. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's better in the winter when you have snow because you have, you know, uh, you know, it freezes over and all that. So I just okay. obviously from cold bank packed up there, then skinned yeah. up to uh, the top of, you have that goalie of the forest when you get to the yep. plateau, then you get to the last ramp to the summit, that little arete. Yep. And there, uh, I had a couple of friends come and help me out. Grady uh, James, who's a local biker and all that. And uh, and there was a kid, Alec, that, that used to be a lifty at Perg. And he was like, yeah, we'll come and help you. Because I didn't have custom gear at the time to carry my parachute on my ski gear. When I ski basement hood, I boot packed up the mountain for an hour with just skis on my shoulder. Yeah, I was like, I, I can't really do this on engineer. I was like, I need people to kind of help me. So I had two friends and they each carried a ski on their pack for me. And so then I could, and then I borrowed a pair of uh, um, crampons from a friend, an ice axe from another. 
Yeah. And then we got up like that. It took about, I think it took like, what, three or four hours. Oh, and, okay. uh, yeah. I got to the top and they skied down the ridge and then I skied down to the other side. And there's a special moment when, when you're up there with friends that known for a while and you're about to do something that has never been done. You have a, you have a, you know, you have a taste of your potential doom or your potential glory at the same time. It's kind of on, on an equal level. And, uh, as of there, man, I, 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 I didn't eat anything too. Cause I was running on adrenaline. I was so, so, um, anxious and I just drank a bunch of water. So when I got up there, I totally crashed and bonked and they fed me bagels with Nutella and stuff and yeah. half their food with me. And I was like, so these guys, I can't, you know, I owe, owe it to these guys too. They helped me so much to do this. But then when you, you, you sincerely and genuinely tell your friend, you, you love him and you give him a hug before you drop into a face like that, it's, it's a, it's truly heartfelt because you, you might never see them again. And yeah. those moments are, might seem very dark and crazy for people, but it's, 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 it's beautiful for me. It's the, it's really a taste of, of true authentic living. You know, there's yeah. this, you, you come back from something like that. You, you never really come back actually, because a part of you stays up on that mountain forever. And, and you have this, these memories in your heart and your head for forever. And it's, uh, you, Actually, when you come back, I remember after that, you know, went to Perg and uh, to get, grab a drink, whatever. And we're like, oh man, you finally did it after four years and all that. And, you know, you're happy, you're, you, you, you're smiling, but you're instantly disconnected almost, you know. Yeah. It was so hard to, to come back to, um, to the real world in a way, you know. And, yeah. and that night was actually the first night I experienced kind of like the, the blue Monday of action sports, you know, when, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not like, you know, like if it, it, it's, it's like you, you, you build up that moment for so long for many years and then it's done in a few minutes, a few seconds yep. in the air. And I was exhausted, man, but I couldn't sleep. All I wanted to do was sleep, but my mind was racing. My, my, I kept living the moment. My heart was racing and it's almost like a slight, the higher, the higher, the lower, the low, you know, and it's a yep. natural one. It's not like I was doing a bunch of drugs and a true blue Monday where I went on a rampage and did a bunch of cocaine the night before. Yeah. Which I've never done, by the way. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, that's that's the true definition of the Blue Monday, right? You know, and yeah. and, and there it was just living such a, an apex of your existence makes it hard to to come back. But that's something that you know you learn to manage over the years. You realize that there's nothing wrong with you. It's just a perfect normal um, sequence in the process of achieving your goals, right? You know, yeah. it's not the highs all the time and you don't do it for the high you do it for the meaning right if if you do things with no ethos then it's shallow and pointless yeah well it's like what you're saying it's like when you come like when you get that close to death or like you are face literally facing death like you just appreciate life more yeah i mean you know it's kind of the old cliche like live life taste death you know what i mean but it's exactly i mean in the end man you know death is death is going to happen to all of us we all have an expiration date what do you do in the meantime but also that notion of potentially losing everything is what gives the substance and the value of what you are doing as well too yeah and and that's i i'm super fortunate to live that recurringly almost on a you know weekly or daily basis you know and you know yeah sure some projects are way bigger than others since engineer i've I've ski base jumped the Eiger, ski base jumped the Matterhorn, I ski base jumped Mont Blanc, the highest peak in, in Western Europe. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, so that's the Alps trilogy, which they, these are the three 
that you speak in the Alps and got to ski base jump, all of them. And Mont Blanc was my home mountain. So ski base jumping from the top of that mountain was huge. And it was a two day climb, you know, the Eiger and Matterhorn, I cheated because I got dropped by a heli. But, oh, okay. uh, um, but now my, my son is eight years old and he's giving me crap. So he's like, you got to go back to the Eiger and Matterhorn and do it right and climb it first. So <laughs> probably have to go and go back for that. But Mont Blanc is great because, you know, climb for, you know, two days with 50 pounds in your back and you, you're earning your descent. You, yeah it's there's a whole and i'm not even a religious person man you know actually i, I despise the idea of god i you know maybe it's yeah. because I'm, I'm i'm french and come from a secular country <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but i yeah i don't necessarily enjoy that concept if it can be a source yeah. of empowerment for people cool but for me i i think there's something um you know uh vicious and unhealthy about the you know about worshiping a potential god but uh yeah but being in the mountains and pushing yourself that far emotionally, mentally, and physically is definitely, you tap into some spiritual shit, you know, and that's, that's what the mounds bring to you. It, it's, it's, that's where you connect the dots. You know, you go up with questions yeah. and you come back with answers and that's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> I would say you climb and earn your turns, but you're not doing many turns. So <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, yeah, yeah, I beg to defer, you know, not always. <laughs> yeah. Like, but yeah. Yeah. It, 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 some of them are straight ramp to a cliff and it's generally these yeah. don't take too long to access, but Mont Blanc, man, we got to ski, 1500 feet of knee deep powder you know wow. and then speed and then flew and then we had to ski another 3000 vertical and then climb another two hours and then finally we connected with a cable car and got back downtown chamonix at like 1 p.m and so you that's the thing integrating a parachute within the process especially when you mix it with alpinism and mountaineering and earning your turns yeah it's not just the isolation of the jump itself it's a journey through mountains where you climb you ski you jump you fly you land you ski out and climb out of there too it's yeah beautiful comedy that sounds like such a great adventure actually yeah wow. it's uh yeah it's more than an adventure man it's it's yeah it's it's yeah it's it's a mission man you know yeah totally with a goal and a purpose <laughs> yeah. right for sure your uh your movie just came out recently didn't it yeah, my movie came out, um, uh, actually, it came out, yeah, this year in June, I think, something like that. And oh. then, but technically it was out before, but it was just on the films, uh, film festival circuit all over the world. Gotcha. And uh, we finished the movie in 2019, started playing late 2019 at film festivals, and then early 2020, and then COVID hit, so that slowed everything down. Then film festival went back online, so then the movie went to a bunch of festivals. But we, yeah, we got to... I don't know, 40 or 50 festivals worldwide. And then we just, wow. uh, yeah, then it was released on, yeah, iTunes and, you know, every, you know, every platform pretty much out there except Netflix, but uh, yeah. so pay-per-view platform. So it's all out there. It's distributed by Greenwich Entertainment. They're the guys who did Free Solo. And, right. uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So they so picked up my movie. Crew? Sorry? Were you working with that crew then? Uh, well, they, so I worked with the, I did the movie pretty much with, so it's kind of funny when I was 24 in ski based off Mount Hood and I did an interview for a local ABC channel in Spokane, Washington. One of the guys interviewing me had an outdoor show and he was just equally as naive as I was because we were 24 years old. And he was like, hey, man, we should make a movie together. And I was like, yeah. oh, cool. That's good thinking. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's going to come out next year and we'll have a banger movie, you know. And yeah. Uh, but no, it took uh, 11 years. And, you know, he quit uh, wow. ABC, local ABC News. He went to Chapman University, which is one of the best film schools in the U.S., uh, graduated from there now he's teaching film at um eastern washington university okay. and uh yeah so he's a full-on documentary now he's making a documentary on world war ii uh, uh african-american paratroopers 
Yeah. And uh, super interesting. It's so interesting. He's making another movie on parachutes, but uh, so yeah, so that's the guy who made my movie. And then we, we, you know, I, I would send him hard drives. Of, I sent him 430 minutes of footage. I wasn't involved in the editing process, but he yeah. did the full on library and work where he reviewed every second and edited it. And, and then um, roped in production. They did a bunch of non movies like uh, Fred Becky, Dirtbag, The Legend of Fred Becky, and K2, yeah. of Himalayas. They did a bunch of movies. They, they're in the Seattle area. So they connected with him. They're like, hey, man, we'd love to help you produce a movie. So they produced, helped co produce it. I mean, he directed it, they produced it. And then they already, they were connected with all these outlets. And then Greenwich heard about it and they picked it up. So that's uh, pretty wow. cool. So was it just you packing a camera? Or like, did you have a crew with you? Like, I, how did the filming go? Well, it's funny because you're going to see through 11 years, you see the evolution, you know, from, yeah. um, you know, starting with, you know, a boring, like a mini HD camera that was screwed on a helmet that was not waterproof and highly breakable yeah. and getting <laughs> shots like that. And, you know, gathering crews over the, you know, gathering images from the crews that I worked with over the years or sponsors would go on a shoot and, or they'd hire a crew and then we'd have permission to use the footage or things like that. And I, you know, I, I was the first European athlete with GoPro back in the day and got their first viral video. So then wow, okay. uh, had some headcams before. So some of the footage is really old and grainy. You see the evolution in the technology. Then when I got on with GoPro, that was great because, you know, all of a sudden we had these mini HD cameras that were shock resistance and waterproof and so then that got a ton of footage with that so a lot of it shot with gopro and then you know a lot of my friends were starting to you know they're they're they had their own production companies and they'd get red cameras and things like that and so then all of a sudden we just gathered all these amazing images over 11 years and chase yeah. put it all together so we did a bunch of interviews with you know family members and myself so it's kind of funny to see yourself at 24 years old doing an interview and finishing the movie when you're 35 you know and so yeah there are many things that I would express differently now. And so if you, if you watch the movie, that's kind of how you have to take it. It's a, it's a slice of time of, of 10 years in the life pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, and now it's like, yeah, I, I had a huge crash in 2013 as well. That was all filmed and documented. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Then I, yeah. I don't want to give too much away from the movie, but we, yeah, we yeah. document all that. So you'll, yeah, you'll see the good, the bad and the ugly in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy to see how you were committed for 11 years to making this movie well it wasn't just for the movie it's just it's just yeah. my life you know and for the thing why it took 11 years is because you can't force life to happen it just happens yeah. as it happens and no matter what i was yeah dedicated as a skier and base jumper and recording everything you know i'm always traveling my own camera sometimes doing self-interviews in airplanes or you know airports or climbing up a mountain or whatever so i i literally documented my whole life over 11 years and i'm, I'm still doing so because i'm still you know creating a lot of content working with a bunch of brands and doing some yeah. you know stunt stuff and all that and working on new movies as well so there's yeah, it's it's just uh you don't do it for the movie. It's just the movie is a way to kind of archive all that footage in in a timeline story. But it's also the the director's interpretation of my own life. I was not involved in the editing process at all. So yeah. I think he he did a good job. There's many ways we could have taken that story. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh it came out it came out it came out well. So <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah. What what are you doing now? What are you up to? Nice. Uh, so I just got back from Iceland. I had a busy summer. I was uh, went ski mountaineering in the Alps, tried to do a ski base jump, but yeah. turned around too dangerous. Then I went flying wingsuits in Switzerland. So that was really cool. 
and uh you know buzzing <laughs> buzzing clips going 120 miles per hour is yeah that's absolutely amazing but you know it's actually super it looks crazy but when you jump off and especially now the suit i have is not a 100 classical wingsuit like my arms are free it's technically called the tracking suit but i have a full okay. wing on my leg and wings that go in your armpits yeah. so you have full body freedom but you have all the power from wingsuits you have a little less glide but more speed yeah, <laughs> so it's <yeah>. awesome <laughs> And, uh, and it looks crazy, but it's, as you learn to fly these things, you learn to tap into that level of ultimate serenity and plenitude when you're doing it. Cause first of all, if, if you put tension on this suit, it generally gets squirrely and you don't want to get squirrely when you're flying in the mountains. Right. So yeah. you have to be complete, you have to shape the suit, shape your body, but stay calm and relaxed. Yeah. And so you are, <clears throat> it's a combination of going super fast while being super calm. It's like, and it's like doing, it's like doing meditation in a Formula One car. You know, you're just like, just yeah. chilling. You're, you're actually focusing on your breathing as you're flying. You know, all right, no That's muscle tension. Awesome. Yeah, you know, straight yeah. legs, tailbone out, shoulders flat, and then your body is like a ski, except that your yeah. shoulders are your edges, and so you're just carving the mountain with your shoulders. You're like, it's amazing. So anyway, <laughs> this real what? Yeah, it was sick, man. It's it's the. It's the true fourth dimension. You land, yeah. you're highly energized, of course, from the jump, but you're highly mellow and peaceful from it too. It's a really strange um, level of, of excitement and plenitude and serenity all mixed in one. It's it's incredible. And then after that, came back to the States for two or three weeks and then went to Iceland for a shoot with the Thule, you know, the roof yeah. racks from Sweden. I've been with them for nine years. It's one of my main sponsors. And so I was there with Garrett McNamara and Xavier Delarue and, you know, the whole team. So we had a bunch of pro athletes there and we all like have a specialty, you know, big mountain snowboarders and skiers and big wave surfers. And it was great. Yeah. Like World Cup mountain bikers and ex, you know, World Cup ski racers. It was awesome. Yeah. And so, yeah, I did a couple, did a few jumps there. I got to travel there with, with my wife, and my son and had a great time. And then got back here and I'm getting ready for winter and get some, you know, uh, work commitment this fall. I do more and more speaking for companies because, you know, I talk a lot, so I might as well make a living yeah. out of it. <laughs> there you go, man. I'm kidding. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, doing more and more of that. And then, yeah, getting, uh, winter ready. That's the side that people don't see is all the computer work that goes behind it. Like yeah. I go to bed every night at midnight, you know, like putting proposals together and, 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 planning projects and uh, I'm planning some stuff in Asia and so researching places you do things. And it's, it's, it's a tedious yeah. job, man. It's so much, um, it's so much work, but it's, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way because this yeah. is what I chose to dedicate my life to, you know? <laughs> well, it feels like these days, like no matter what you're doing, you're on a computer a lot. Yeah, I think anybody is. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. <laughs> you know? like, I, I feel like most jobs are very computer driven, but, um, the travel is is super cool that you get to do so yeah yeah man and i you know i i love being on airplanes i love airports yep. I, I love this stuff yeah it's not necessarily the most environmentally friendly when you're doing environmentally aware activities so i get that that's yeah. the part that definitely uh bugs me but at the same time this you know it's it's things things are changing things are evolving hopefully we'll yep. have some uh, less impactful ways to travel but aside from that man i love traveling man you get yeah. to Especially going back home to the Alps, you know, places that I, you know, these are places that I know. I love discovering new places, but yeah. it's a special place like Iceland was my fourth time over there. And it's one of those places that really captures a part of you. And so going back over there almost feels like going home. And so you have all these pockets around the world that feel like home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. What are your favorite places like that you've been? 
um, Iceland, New Zealand, uh, obviously the Alps, um, Lingen Alps in Norway. It's uh, 400 okay. miles past the Arctic Circle. You're almost in Lapland. I did the first wow. few weeks up there. Yeah. And um, super cool. Uh, I really enjoy um, Australia. was pretty cool too, but I preferred New Zealand. It felt a little more, I mean, where I was, it felt a little more natural you know but it's cool we're doing yeah. some skydiving on the beach and all that it was pretty oh cool. yeah i've seen some uh, of that cool. <laughs> yeah it looks yeah. so cool yeah it was rad and uh but yeah no i would say yeah i mean if i have to pick a top three definitely yeah i think uh i kind of like the yeah the nordic climate a lot more i'm not a big fan of the heat so, you know i've been to Costa yeah. like Costa Rica, things like that super cool to surf but uh you know chile was amazing you know but i really enjoyed the vibe in nordic countries like i uh -huh. i'd say i'd say yeah iceland norway and then uh and then you know the alps obviously it's, it's yeah the alps are gorgeous i only i got over the swiss the swiss alps a little bit oh no way oh, yeah where, where did you go um well i don't what was that town called i forget it was a few years back but um i was in um we ended up in austria too okay you did a big tour you I did the American way of traveling, of seeing a bunch of places but not remembering them. Yeah, well, I was, I was, I was on this tour group for like. Oh, school. okay. So, I knew what country I was in, but the town. Yeah. Was... No, I mean it's hard to keep track, man. I'm, I'm giving you crap, but uh, it's like it's, it's yeah. a cool way to travel like that because you get to kind of see a little bit of everything. But yeah. that's what will be my advice for whoever is listening. If you travel to Europe, don't try to see as much as you can in one trip. Pick a place. Yeah. Rent a house there and stay there for two weeks. Go to the local market, go to the local restaurants, travel within the area within, you know, a couple hours, renting a car or whatever, and go check it out and hike the local mountains, you know, meet some of the locals, especially if you have, if you have a, um, a hobby, like you're, you're a rock climber, you're a skier, you're a skateboarder, whatever it is, yeah. like go do your activity in the country. You will meet locals and that's the best way to travel and, and really, I don't want to say infiltrate because it sounds a little negative, but you get accepted really within a community. And that really opens that the, the, the doors and you'll have a much better, you have a true understanding and feeling of what the place is about, you know, by, by connecting and doing things with the locals, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, and that's what I want to do more of, but that like that trip I did, I think I was, I was under 18. So oh, yeah, 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 I wasn't, sure. I was, it was a little different, but now knowing like what I learned on that trip, there's a lot of places that I'm looking to go back to after I graduate college eventually. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do it. Oh, do it while you're in college, man. Take a summer off and go, you know, save yeah, some exactly. money, make it happen. You know, it's like, yeah. and, and you can, you can, you know, you can stay in hostels or, you know, especially, you know, again, if you have a, a passion or, or a craft that you like to, you know, work on, then that'll, that'll help you go to cool places. You know what I mean? And meet the right people and kind of like, Dude, you know, like base jumping is one of those sports, man. Like, yeah, you get to connect with so many people all over the world. It's always like a friend of a friend. And then you, you always figure out a place to stay. And then they show you the local spots, especially now with social media too. It's like, yeah, man, I, go, I go on a trip sometimes with a person that I never met, but like we, we know what each other has, you know, done or accomplished or the level of experience within the sport. Yeah. That's, that's how I traveled to Switzerland this summer, man. I went to Switzerland to fly and I'd been there several times, but met with this guy florian and he florian kong on, on instagram okay. he's a super cool jumper and good dude and yeah you know, we jumped the same gear we have tons of friends in common connected and 
and then traveled in Switzerland for a week and a half and just jumped some amazing cliffs. And, you know, he, he knew all the spots. He was like, Hey man, yeah, I'll take you there, this and that. And then wow. uh, we're, plan we're planning our next trip together. We'll probably go to the Dolomites together and discover some spots now together, you know? So it's, that's, that's a great way to, to travel. If you can be, if you're already part of like, um, yeah, international community through a sport or anything that's, you know, travel through this, that's how you'll, you'll break through. <laughs> yeah. How did you're in Utah now, right? Uh, I'm in Oregon now. So. Oregon. Okay. Yeah. How do you live up in Oregon? Yeah, I live, uh, yeah, I live in Bend, Oregon. So it's right. a lot like Durango. It's cool. You know, uh, it's, it's smaller mountains than, you know, the, the Rockies. We don't have like 14,000 foot peaks around here, but, yeah. uh, it's, it's great. Yeah. You know, we ski at Mount Bachelor and in the summer, you know, you can ski, I skied until July this year, you know, on Mount Hood. It was oh, sick. Wow. Okay. And the beach is only three and a half hours away. And I surfed my first 30 foot wave last year too. We have a big wave here. So, wow. yeah, you, you know, it was, I didn't paddle it, but I got towed into a wave. So I got friends over there with, you know, jet skis and stuff. And so it's pretty much like I have cliffs that I can jump like 30 minutes from my house and skiing 30 minutes the other way and the beach three and a half hours away and Mount Hood a couple hours away. And the skydiving school an hour away. So I'm always doing something, man. It's awesome. <laughs> so much to do. Yeah. That's crazy. Water scares me. Surfing is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. You get too, rocked. Yeah, for sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> you get put back in your place, man. But you know, it's weird. Like riding, obviously I don't have a ton of experience in surfing big ways, but I've surfed for 20 yeah. years or so, but surfing a 30 foot wall of water. was like, oh, it was like skiing yeah. a big mountain face, except that the mountain is moving with you. It was yeah. kind of like, you know, there's a few times when you get to escape an avalanche or a ski with some slough, things like that. It felt like that, except that it's like that every time. So wow. man, I have yeah. so much respect for big wave surfers. Cause it's, uh, that's, you know, speaking of commitment, man, that's full commitment for sure. So. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> how long does a big wave like that last? Like how long are you on it? Well, I think it depends on the waves, you know, like some waves yeah. like open and dump you and then you, you have like a short shoulder ride or whatever. Like, like you look at Mavericks, for example, it's not, you know, you cover long distance, but it's not necessarily the length of the ride it's the quality of the ride. Right. Right. Yeah. But, uh, the wave I surfed was, I don't know, it was maybe like, uh, it was like a 15, 20 second ride, which is pretty good wow. for a long, yeah. for, for a wave, you know? So, but yeah, no, it's, it's great, but it's not necessarily the length of the ride. It's more like the it's yeah it's it's just the the power the shape of it the, the man the mental pictures and the sound the sound you drop wow, in and you I hear breaking behind it's like this yeah. it's like do not fall you know like you yeah. feel the, the power it's so cool man and it's, it's you know you see it like cresting over your head and just yeah it's it's full on it's so full on like i came out of the water my eyes are just like oh, you know i kind yeah. like you know, it's just like six or seven ways, but he wasn't that much. But I, I, I was like, okay, I'm good. You know, like yeah. I, I want to end on a high note because it's just so, so charged that it's draining emotionally and physically, of course, especially yeah. here in Oregon, the water is super cold, you know, it's like 50 degrees. So you, you, right. you know, you, you exert a lot of energy and then, uh, yeah, it, it's, 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 uh, it's another full, uh, full body mind and, and, uh, yeah. And, and heart experience yeah. you know, it's i think all these sports have similarities it's just uh the, the the frame of execution is very it's pretty much similar it's just the variables that change so if you yeah. if kind of you know you have that ten thousand hour rule that you have to put in ten thousand hours to master something while in action sports if you're an athletic guy and let's say you've, you've ridden you've surfed and you've ridden a board for a while and it's kind of like that that ten thousand hour rule from from skiing translated into you know a five thousand hour rule in, in surfing and then yeah. when i started base jumping that went into 
not even the thousand hour rule, you know, and skydiving was like pretty quick. And it's like, you can really, that's how you can kind of become a multi-sport athlete is you can learn a lot from each discipline. And, and it's like, a, it's just like anything in life, man. It's a stepping stone yep. to the next thing. So. Yeah, exactly. Riding, doing any extreme sport kind of helps with everything else is what I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, I, I I'm not a huge fan of the word extreme, but they are extreme because right. it's extreme consequences. Yeah. But, uh, I think it's, I, you know, I prefer the term, yeah, action sports because it's, yeah. it's, it's heavy action, but at the same time, it's, it doesn't necessarily do justice for the, the intensity of it. So I think maybe no. a new terminology will have to be, uh, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, um, invented, but it's, it's, it's well, almost, it's like, that, that's, that's why these expressions are so amazing that words, no matter how well chosen they can be, will never do it fully justice. Yeah. Well, I feel like those, the words are chosen by people who don't do the sports yeah. or the outside for people on the outside the community. Cause when you're inside the community, it's not really those things. That's like, a good point. That's a good point. That's half my job now is, you know, when I more than half, two thirds of my job is to break down those stereotypes and cliches and, and preconceived yeah. uh, and pre-made expressions by others that they just copy and pasting on that unfortunately some athletes just adopt without thinking about it yeah and it's you know like things like adrenaline junkie and daredevil and all this stuff it's like absolutely not man. no it's the, yeah it's the opposite of this you don't do things for the rush you do no. things and if you do it for the rush you know in base jumping that generally won't serve you well you know you'll probably get <laughs> hurt yeah get hurt <laughs> die or be too scared to keep going within a, within three years you know i see it all the time you know yeah. so but if you if you last more than 10 years in that sport you generally have a much different approach for it or a different foundation, yeah. a different ethos. Again, you know, the meaning right. is everything. So. Yeah, for sure. I have two more questions for you. Go for um, it. And my first one is if like 10 years ago, what would have you told yourself? Like, <laughs> you now? Uh, 10 years ago. Um, that's a really good question. Um, what I would have told myself is, all you know is that you don't know. Yeah. Because it's, uh, especially with, with base jumping and, and big mouse, you know, where I grew up skiing the Alps, I'm not trying to bring a dark side of it, but it's, no. you know, with the area where I grew up is, you know, one person dies every three days in the mount, in the mountains there of any mountain activity, skiing or climbing or paragliding or, or a tourist falls down a trail, you know, hiking. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that it's, it's a reality of it, but then when you in it and you, you really get, he really get, get worked with, you know, losing friends and getting hurt. And, you know, I've, you know, I think while we filmed that movie in that 10 year span, I think I lost over 50 people that I knew, not all close friends, but it's like, you know, it's a lot of, wow. And it's also because in there it was biased because there's a lot of pioneering, a lot of discovering new disciplines, which comes with a lot of casualties. Unfortunately, I knew a lot of the guys in there and that's, yeah. and that's, and I, I didn't know how this was going to impact me. And, and so that was kind of like, the thing I think, yeah, what you don't know is that how it's going to impact you. But I guess that would bring me to a second point, and that point would be to uh, embrace it all because fear really is your best friend. You know, there's there's people tell you they conquer fear and all that. It's BS. You know, fear is yeah. always going to be there. All you're doing is you either ignoring it or you're just managing your anxiety and yeah. just just embrace the whole process because it's incredibly rich, and that's how you're going to be able to to do it well. To embrace the whole process for sure so so embrace fear not conquer it i love that yeah yeah man it's i have a friend actually who wrote a book on that and okay called uh is it the art of fear 
and oh, okay yeah says how 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 and and we actually had a very similar approach on fear and i didn't necessarily realize that uh, you know what i was consciously doing you know over the years and in, when you watch the movie it's exactly this it's like yeah. at first i'm 24 and i'm just putting my fear to the side i even say it in the movie and then i just jump off and do it then after that i'm just kind of like managing my anxiety and then towards the end of the movie it's really a place of 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 acceptance and transcendence you know accepting of your potential you know success and glory but also potential failure which means accepting you know succeeding or potentially dying and when you put both of these on the same level you reach a stage of, of acceptance of who you are and where you are and what you do which is in a way a form of existential emancipation you kind of floating away from from your you know your 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 emotional tie downs too much you know because you just cannot you're transcending it and that's the only way you can get to that next level and really wow. accomplish everything that you want to accomplish there's something hugely meditative about it you know and and that's and i think a lot of it came from just embracing the whole process i mean it's often man i I'll go on a project and i go from wanting to throw up to literally feeling elated at the top so it's it's and yeah. everything in between now that it's a bad omen or that something bad's going to happen it's just it's you just tuning in with your environment so you can become a survival machine <laughs> oh yeah for sure yeah it's so much just reading the conditions and knowing if you can do it or not i feel like yeah for sure but sometimes you know sometimes the math barely adds up you know the error margin is almost there's there's none you know yeah. so you got to stick it perfectly and yeah. these are the moments that really don't do this all the time too you know you don't want to go to 100 all the time keep it 80 most of the time and then once yeah. you're ready build for those 100 kind of moments you know it's, yeah. uh, it's this constant process of becoming 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 and then for the short amount of time you are yeah a small moment of being but then you go back to becoming 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 being you know and then that's why yeah. when you accomplish a, a a big project that's only a third of it you know the the other two-thirds of it is yeah it's the after the math you know communicating about it sharing the experience you know and all this stuff but it's also rebuilding yourself going back to basics and rebuilding yourself for the next project you know so it's an exhausting process all the time and that's why yeah you can't do this if your if your ethos is not is not right so yeah for sure <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the last question for you is what is your meaning of life the meaning of life to honor my passions. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think totally passions are a true passion uh, becomes an existential pillar and your life is built yeah. on your existential pillars. If you, if it's just a hobby or something you enjoy, it's not necessarily substantial, you know, and uh, honoring your passion is in my opinion, some people might disagree or think that I'm just uh, young and dumb, you know, but I'm not, you know, that young anymore. I just turned 38. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not old yet, you know, I'm in my peak yeah. of what I'm doing, but it's really honoring my passions is really what has uh, given meaning to, to the good times, but the bad times as well, you know, and that's, yeah. that's, that's a driving force that will, that will help you create the life that you want. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, this, what, what can you hope for in life? Really? Only yeah. two things, a good life and a good death. And so, Amen. <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, that's it, man. What, whatever that means to you, I don't have the answer, but if you yeah. live a good life and you die well, then pretty much made it, man. You know, if you honor your passions, most likely you're going to have both. So, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, awesome. you know, it's, we keep hearing about, 
people chasing happiness. I just want to be happy and this and that. It's like, yeah, happiness is cool. But in the end, it's like, you know, you know, whatever. Fuck being happy, man. Like fulfillment is way more important because if you fulfill, like you're, you, you will, you will, happiness is a sure, is a temporary lived emotion. Whereas fulfillment never goes away. You yeah. can be on your deathbed and, and, and reflecting on or still feeling what you, you did maybe 20 or 30 years ago. And these are the moments that become the apogee of your life. So yeah, build those apogees of your life. Yeah, for sure. I, I know a lot of people that are talking a lot about being happy and about all they want is like to be happy. But I think that the fulfillment approach, I feel like first of all, first off, English doesn't have enough words for these emotions. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, this is this is this is why everybody needs to speak French. Yeah, I know <laughs> French is gorgeous. Like I, I can speak French, um, but yeah. Well, where can we follow you? Uh, at Super Frenchy Official on Instagram, uh, Super Frenchy Official on Facebook, and then Twitter is just at Matthias Giro because somebody took Super Frenchy, but they don't use it. But yeah, anyway. Oh. So I say yeah, follow me there. Reach out if you have any questions. I'm always happy to give pointers. You know, I often get people that try to get into base jumping and this and that and always yeah. happy to respond i you know i'm not promising that i can every time otherwise i have a website superfrenchy.com as well okay. and if you want to check out the movie superfrenchymovie.com and you can see where it's playing or you can click on watch at home and you can just see wherever you need to wherever you can stream it so so that's about it but yeah go out there make it happen be fulfilled you know and uh because the second you chase happiness it's gonna it's gonna go away so yeah man. Yeah, I, I would end on one, uh, maybe one book recommendation. That's a book okay, that is yeah. the only book I read twice in my life that really helped me understand a lot of those concepts. And I read it after the suicide of my sister. She suicide, she committed suicide when she was 27. I was 18 at the time, trying to make sense of things, you know. And uh, I read this book a year after called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And that man, you know, survived the concentration camps, Jewish psychiatrists, the Nazis destroyed all his work. He had this gold past his suffering. That was his existential pillar. And then he wow, yeah. powered through it all, you know, finished his work. And uh, yeah, that's probably the most uh, yeah, powerful book I've ever read. And he wrote it in nine days. You know, he probably had so much bottled up inside from yeah. his the most brutal experience anybody can go through and, uh, and, and create this, this beautiful, beautiful piece of work. So I uh, encourage anybody listening to read that book because it'll, it'll change your life or it'll help you get your ducks in a row for sure. Yeah. I'll have to go buy that like right after this. So, All right. Right. <laughs> thank you so much. My yeah. Pleasure. Um, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day, evening, night, whatever time it is for you. And I will see you guys in the next episode.